Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Jonathan Knight. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, This week was insane for me. It was extremely, extremely busy. I'm going to give you all a snapshot of my life today since I don't get to talk very often. Um, but I had a film project yesterday, and it seems um, that my daily job, my uh, I work with Jared and Kevin for the roofing business. Um, my daily job on the weeks that I get film jobs, usually my, my week is pretty stretched out. It, I, I manage my time fairly well with the houses I have, and I stretch them out to where I'm not rushing places but I have so, uh, plenty of time. Well, this week, I have a film job. Well, for the past five film jobs, I do not have easy weeks before these film jobs. And in fact, I did have an easy week, and then it rained Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And so all those appointments that I had scheduled for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday fell on Thursday and Friday. Not to mention... The meetings I already had planned on Thursday and Friday. And then Saturday's my film job. Not a big deal. I'm the helper, is what I thought. I'm the helper. So I'm just going to show up. I'm going to say, hey, what do you need? And they say, pick that up. And I'll go, okay. Get paid for it. That's what I'm going to do. Okay? But this time, they were going to use my camera gear. And um, this is going to get real technical, Okay? For, but just hang with me. It's only a little bit technical. So I'm only going to give you a little bit. Just hang with me. There's a point to all of this. Um, but they were going to use my camera gear. My camera, okay, this is where it gets technical, shoots 4K HD in 8-bit. Okay? It's great. It's great. However, advertisements that are shot in 4K are usually shot in 4K 10-bit, okay? This is an issue if someone wants to use my camera. So what I have to do is I have to have an external recorder because my camera has the capabilities of doing it, but it can't do it internally. So I have an external recorder that I I, uh, didn't buy, (laughs) I wish, uh, that I rented, that's fine, but this is a mess. When they were trying to use my camera, I said, okay, that's fine, but this is another piece of equipment that I will be bringing, slash charging you for, uh, I will be bringing, and, and so that we can achieve what you're wanting. And um, I didn't tell them that I'd never used the equipment before. I never, nope. I've hooked it up to my camera once because it, they, the piece of equipment is called the Atomos Ninja. Its brother is the Atomos Shogun. And its older brother, or actually better brother, is the Atomos Inferno. Just by name alone, right? I want this piece of equipment. I don't know what it does, but it's a ninja, right? When do you get to buy ninjas, right? And so I I get this camera. I hooked up a Shogun one time to my camera. And I was like, I'm going to figure this out because if I ever get this job, blah, 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 blah. And I hooked it up to my camera, and I couldn't get it to record. And then I pressed a menu button, and it popped up all these menus. And I was like, 
well, this is going to take longer than I thought. I'll do this later. Well, later was Friday night. And the shoot was Saturday morning, okay? So I had planned, I had rented this piece of gear on Thursday, thinking I'd have two days to tackle it. Uh, That was not the case at all. In fact, I was busy all the way up until 7 o'clock Friday night, where I had two hours to learn this thing until family visited in town, and I had to be a part of family stuff. So I had minimal time to learn this. I did it. I did it, guys. I showed up to the shoot, and I was the man. Well, also, little did I know, at the time, I already gave you all this, but I thought I was the helper. So originally, whenever I said, hey, you can use my gear, I was like, if I learn the user manual, I'm golden. Because if someone says, hey, how do I get to this menu? Hey, I got you. Click, 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 done. I'm not operating the thing, right? Friday morning, I called them and I said, hey, who else is on the job with us? And the producer says, oh, it's just me and you. Uh, Oh, well, first thing that ran to my head was, well, I should have charged you more. That was the first thing because there's a different day rate for that, right? And I was like, well, okay. And then my second thing was, I've got to learn this thing. I've got to learn how to use it. So last uh, Friday night, I annoyed Lindsay with the camera and uh, got yelled at several times, recorded. Not deleted. Um, But so I, I, I learned it. I show up on the shoot, and my training kicks in. I'm able to to show up. It was a great shoot. Um, But, you know, I didn't tell them, but I had no idea. And do you know the difference between 8-bit and 10-bit? Do you know know the difference between 8-bit and and 12-bit? That's correct. That is correct. Do you know what bits are? Do you know what bits are in in the frame of reference of camera gear? Well, I'm I'm gonna tell you right now. I have no idea. I have no idea. I just know it's better. It's better somehow. Somehow this thing on its own, right? So um I I was very careful with the way that I worded it. I didn't lie. Okay, I didn't lie. I just said, yeah, I can do um, it turned I can do this on the day because I will learn, right? Um, it turns out that the Ninja V, the Atmos Ninja V, is extremely easy to use. You just plug in and you hit record on the screen. That's it. It was awesome, right? It is nice. It is nice when you show up and you're supposed to be the man that is uh, calling the shots, and all you have to do is hit a record button. Uh, but until I realized how easy it was to use, it was overwhelming. Until I got on to three YouTube videos and uh, a couple of forums about shooting on green screen, because that was an added thing uh, for Rice University. So I'm showing up to Rice University. This isn't just a green screen that we've done for the church where it's a green curtain. This is a green screen, okay? Everything's green in there, right? I'm green, you know, because of the light shining off of it, you know? So... Uh, it's overwhelming. It was overwhelming for me to pull up that menu when I first hooked up the Shogun to my camera and just to look at it and go, I have no training for this. 
I have no idea what this is. And because I didn't have the time in that moment to research and to find out how easy it was, to me, even all the way up until Friday, in my head, this was a big task. This was a big ask for me. And so uh, we've been in this series called Irresistible, and um, I w- didn't get to preach a part of the Irresistible series, so uh, I'm making my own week of Irresistible. That's right. Yeah, so I, co- I complain every time I get up here that I'm like, oh, I want to be a part of a series. And then I asked Jared, hey, are we doing a series? He's like, hey, can you preach for me? And I go, okay, are we doing a series? And he goes, no, you just preach what you, what you feel. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, man. But Irresistible is a great series. It was, it was uh, amazing. Part of what we learned during this series is that the gospel of Jesus was irresistible. It was irresistible. What Jesus taught was new, and the disciples uh, took those teachings and began to tell everyone who would listen about them. Uh, People were drawn to the good news, this news that God loved them, that God didn't want sacrifices to redeem them because they are redeemed through Christ. Um, so So that he could show us, God could show us that life, that the life that he truly wanted us was so much wanted for us was so much more than the law of Moses. It was so much more than sacrifices. It was so much more than that. In fact, in Hebrews, it even says that God didn't even want the sacrifices to begin with. That is also referenced in Esther as well. In the Old Testament, in the Jewish scripture, God says. I never wanted these sacrifices to begin with. There was relationship that I wanted. You are my people. I am your God. Not I am your God if you follow these rules. He said, I am your God. And the people said, no, thanks. We want to be like everybody else. So that's what we learned in this series. Um, We learned that the message of Jesus was a message of hope, that we aren't down here all alone, but we have his spirit and power inside of us. A hope that there is more to this life beyond death, that we don't need a temple because we are the temple. And thousands of people were flocking to this message. Sometimes it was thousands all at one time. Sometimes, you know, the first time that we see uh, Peter and John go to the temple and start preaching, 5,000 people come to Christ. 5,000 people start believing in Christ and start understanding what he was doing and how he was, uh, what he was teaching about. And sometimes it was only a handful. Sometimes it was only five people, one person, two person, two persons, two people, right? It was, it, sometimes it was a handful, but it's not, it, it, it can't be argued that it wasn't irresistible to at least hear, to at least hear. Even the people who disagreed with the message had to hear it, had to understand what he was teaching, why he was teaching it. And, you know, to the religious side, it infuriated them. They saw this as heresy. They saw him as a heretic. They saw all the disciples as heretics. But in the moments of them talking, even the religious people couldn't help from listening even though they were opposed. 
It was irresistible. The main question of the series, all right, if it does turn off, tell me, okay? Um, in, the main, in the main question of the series was, what makes the gospel irresistible to people now? Well, I mean, um, what, what makes the gospel resistible to people now? What can we do to make it irresistible for people again? And I'm not going to go over the whole series today because it's a lot. And uh, if you missed it, I encourage you guys to go back over the weeks that you missed because they're very, very important. The stuff that we are teaching in Irresistible is foundation-level stuff for you to understand the message of Christ, for you to understand the events that happened within Jesus' life and beyond. You have to understand each part of this because it ties into the rest of the story. Everything goes back to these things. And there is an event that we talk about, I'm going to be talking about it again, in 70 AD that the Bible references over and over and over again, but that people didn't realize what it was because it hadn't happened yet. And when it happened, they understood that. But hundreds of years later, when the Bible was created, they did not understand that because they did not live in it. They did not see it come to fruition. They just saw it. They saw the event as a piece of history if they even knew about the event, right? So um, we went over uh, several things like some mistranslations, uh, some history that people may uh, not know, uh, many people may not know that contribute to people of the 21st century being opposed to the gospel of Christ, as it has been taught over the last 500 years or so. But one of the biggest problems that I see that people have with the gospel is us. It's us. Because, uh, I'm sorry, um, because some of the things, the mistranslations, the forgotten history we went over in the series Christianity has become something in the minds of non-believers because of those things, because of the mistranslations, because of the forgotten history. We have become uh, something in the minds of non-believers that Jesus never intended the church to be. We never, he never uh, calls that. Now, I'm going to say a disclaimer right here because I've already done it, right? I am going to make generalities today. I think that's a word. I typed it out. It didn't correct me. But I did change it in my notes to generalizations, okay? So we're going to use both of them, generalities and generalizations today. So if, if you think that I am talking about you directly, I'm not talking about you. You're talking about you, okay? You are talking about you because every time that I make a generalization, I am including myself, okay? When I say Christians do this, I am also including myself in that, okay? Um, disclaimer over. Uh, Christians, myself included, are at times extremely condescending, extremely condemning, and extremely conceited. These are just three of the cons, that, and there's obviously, and there's several more, right? And And there's... Obviously, not all of Christianity is that. However, there are sects of Christianity that are extremely condemning, that are extremely conceited, that are extremely condescending to everybody not them. 
And guess what happens when that happens to non-believers? When they see that, when they experience that in their own lives, what happens when you say you're a Christian? Well, all of a sudden, automatically, you're condescending, you are conceited, you're selfish, you, you don't care about other people. What you care about is being able to point to other people and say, you're not good enough. I am. Okay? So this is a problem that people have with us. It is not necessarily our message. It is our life. What are we actually doing in our life? What are we actually saying? The irresistible message that we just went over addressed the message. We talked about the message. The message is unclear in some spots, not because the Bible was unclear with it, but our understanding of the Bible was. But nowadays, what I'm going to be talking about is that we may not be conceited, but the non-believers of the non-followers of Christ can see us as and misunderstand us and misunderstand our message because of the filters that they have seen from other Christians. So, uh, and I, I, I personally believe that they aren't wrong. They aren't wrong, especially in the last, me and Jared talked about this the other day, that a lot of our friends are starting to post things that are very, very judgmental, are very, I had, uh, I'm not going to be so specific, but I had somebody on my feed that uh, posted a meme that's, that said, all the scriptures that made it okay for Christians to judge others. Now, hmm, some of those some of those scriptures, it was not meaning condemnation. It was not meaning that. It was meaning like judge a, discern a situation. Okay, judge a man by his fruits. It's not saying condemn him by his fruits. Saying oh, if he's low, measure him, see see where he's at. And it's not saying oh, if he's low condemn him. It's going on, and that's how you, you handle the situation. But other times, like in Matthew 6, Jesus says, do not judge, lest you be judged also. He is talking about condemnation. He is talking about those things. And what are the first three words of that scripture? Do not judge, right? So on this meme, there, this is a bonus. Uh, this is not in the notes, guys. And I'll be very fast on the rest of the notes. But on this meme, there's this guy that said, I wholeheartedly disagree with this meme. And he's not saying that he disagrees that it wasn't from the Bible. He was, he was talking about the heart of this meme. I totally disagree with this. And he put this scripture that wasn't included on that meme of Jesus saying, do not judge. And 12 other people commented on his comment of, well, you just don't believe the Bible. Oh, well, you are, are speaking heresy. Oh, well, you're doing this. You're doing that. Twelve people, and one of those people I know very closely. Now, if you do follow me on Facebook, you realize that I don't post anything on Facebook rarely. I, if I post something, it means something to me. Um, if I comment on something, it means that I read enough that I absolutely could not ignore this. And it's not because I want to combat the person that's saying it. It's because I know that other people can see what this person is saying. And so I want to make a comment that makes those other people think. I don't outright come against them. 
because I love that person and I want to have a discourse with them. But um, I think that's the right word. It sounds not like the right word, but yeah, I want to have a conversation with them. Okay. If that, okay. Um, but I want to have a conversation with them and I want the other people watching the conversation to broaden their mind, to not think that that's the only view of a situation. So I hop onto this thing after 12 people get on and I said, wow. I said, wow, man, we are the church. I was like, I don't think he needed 12 people to tell him that he was wrong. And I said, even if he is wrong or you disagree with him, Jesus also teaches us to love. And I, I read no love in the last 12 comments to this guy. I want to apologize to him for this. And I just want to say, guys, you know, even if you disagree with somebody, always treat them in love. No more comments on that guy happened. Thank God. Hopefully, hopefully someone got it, right? So I asked myself this question this week. What can I do? Uh, what can I do being a follower of Christ to make the gospel irresistible? Because the gospel is irresistible. But how can I make it irresistible to the people in the 21st century? And I quickly answered it in my mind, okay? Uh, make yourself irresistible. The way that we get people to listen to us is that we ourselves become the people that they want to be around. We become the example. We become the person that they can't stand that, you know, when they want to go out Friday nights, who are they calling? When they want to go over to somebody's house and have a barbecue, who are they calling to get around them? If you are a person that people love to be around, they will listen to your beliefs. I believe that Jesus never wanted to start a new organized religion. I do not believe that Jesus came to earth to say, hey, we're going to start a religion and you're going to worship me. I don't think that was the, the cause. I think he wanted to start a new way of life, not just uh, for those who believe in him, but for every single person around the world from the point that he walked on the earth and beyond, that Jesus came down to change things from that point on. And um, I'll, I'll explain some of that here in a second. Um, he came down not just to die on the cross, but to change the way we lived and treated each other on this earth. And I believe, uh, I, I believe he started his mission uh, to change our perspectives from the very beginning of his ministry. It wasn't after he died. It wasn't on the Last Supper. It wasn't in two years into his ministry. One of the first recordings of his sermons immediately kickstart this new way of life, this new way of thinking. And uh, today, we're going to be looking at one of the first ones that he did, and that is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is the part where uh, we start getting the TV going for us. Um, but uh, the Sermon on Mount, it, the, what's crazy about this uh, sermon to me, and this is uh, uh, Jonathan Musing, um, What's crazy about this sermon is usually whenever Jesus says something and did something and went somewhere, they're very specific on where he went, where he did, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, the, you know, all, all these different things. Uh, yeah, he went down to Capernaum. Well, this sermon uh, is only known as the Sermon on the Mount. 
which makes me think that Matthew was talking to uh, that Matthew was talking to uh, some of his other disciples, and he said, "Hey guys, get this. I am writing a uh, I'm writing a history of Jesus. And do you remember that time? Remember that time that he he went on like that that one mountain, and he he spoke a sermon, and they're like, "Yeah, I think," and they were like, you know." the like be meek be humbled out stuff and they're like oh yeah and he's like where was that and they're like we have no idea you know so he was like all right well we're just going to call it on the mount right that's that's the easiest way for us to do that so um this fir- this is one of the first recorded sermons uh especially in Matthew and uh some of the things that uh, is really cool about this sermon is it's one of Jesus's longest sermons recorded um, and it's one of the first ones. So his, this sermon uh, spans over three different chapters in Matthew. It spans Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. And it's broken up into different topics throughout those chapters. Something that you have to be careful with when you're reading the Bible, especially when you're reading like Romans, uh, Corinthians, Ephesians. All those books, it's not a book that you're reading, it's a letter. There was not chapters. They did not write them in chapters. They did not write them in verses. That was breaking down much, much, much later. They were writing one, one strain of thought. Sometimes the topics would change, but it's all one conversation. It's all one, one motion. So the reason why I'm telling you that the Sermon on the Mount goes from chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 is because to get where he's going in the sermon you have to go over the chapter, all three chapters. Now, we don't have enough time in the world today to go over all three chapters. So we're going to look at one, okay? And it's the first one. And we are going to look at it as a group together. And I challenge you guys to look up the rest of the chapters in this way that I'm about to show you later on. And you'll see that his train of thought does not change from topic to topic. It is one fluid conversation that he is having with these people that are following him. Okay? And, um, hey, don't be judging me for my quick uh, websites, okay? I see some of y'all reading it. Anyway, um, uh, so the whole chapter of of Matthew today that we're looking at is uh, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to do something different. We're going to be reading it on the screen from a specific version. However, it may get a little confusing on the screen the way that it's set up. And so I encourage you guys, if you want to follow me in your, in your Bibles or in your Bible app, um, you can get on to uh, your Bible app, look up NIV, look up ESV. It's fine. Uh, whatever translation you have, it will be roughly the same thing but we are actually going to be looking at Greek and English at the same time. And that's why uh, you can follow along with us. But you'll also, if you are looking at like NIV, you'll see the difference in some of the words. You'll see some of the changes from translation to translation um, that happen. Um, So that's why I have the TV up here. Uh, Here is another disclaimer for the people online. I love you. And I am sorry that you cannot see this screen. I know that you can't see this screen because I, that's my camera that we're using, okay? I want you guys, uh, the reason 
why we're doing it live. I haven't looked up anything yet is because I'd like you guys to follow me. So uh, move the window, the, the TV screen off, or just keep the audio on. That's really all you need for this portion. And you can um, get online, get onto your web browser, and do the exact same thing that I'm doing. And I'm going to walk you through what I'm doing so that you can follow me. This is interactive day today. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can also do this as well, because I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm doing, exactly when I'm doing it. So everybody else in here, you don't have to do that. One, because the desktop version of BibleGateway.com is much better than the mobile version. And the reason why is because you'll see I'll be able to have a side-by-side picture on the desktop version, but on the mobile version, it takes you to the next window. And it doesn't tell you that you're actually not on another window. And so it can get kind of confusing. But if you want to get out your Bible version, um, your, you know, I, I think it is Bible version is what it's called. Uh, the Bible app on your phone, you can follow me, uh, follow along with me. Um, but something that, uh, the reason why I'm doing this today is because there is a trick of the trade in preaching. And that is um, technology. Technology, technology, technology. Um, so a lot of what we believe in Christianity today um, is formed from the Reformation that happened 500 years ago. Um, very smart people, very educated people um, broke off from the Catholic Church, uh, started the Lutheran Church, started the um, Calvinism and other forms of theology around that time that were all based around the Reformation, reforming of the gospel from the Catholic Church. Um, they're very educated. They were very, it's very thought out in Scripture. Uh, when they are arguing points in Scripture, they have other Scriptures to back it out because it's very thought out. However, do you know that history, our bracket and our concept of history, is based off of the Egyptians? Did you know that? All of history, even the Greek history and the Roman history, we know about the same dates and times that uh, that are that we know because we look the historians look at the Egyptian timeline and they follow the Egyptian timeline because it's the oldest and most um, put together I guess um, most put together history so they take that timeline and they overlay everything else so that they know okay well during this pharaoh is when this happened in the world. Did you know that we did not do that until 1800s? We did not map out Egyptian timeline, Egyptian history until the 1800s, which means everything that we knew about history kind of restarted in the 1800s. It went back. All of a sudden, information is flooding in because you have archaeologists. You have Indiana Jones out there looking for the Ark of the Covenant, right? Okay? That was in the 1900s, okay? But in the 1800s, you have these archaeologists that are going out and learning these things and finding the pyramids and researching the pyramids and excavating them. Did they have that 500 years ago? No. On top of that, we have had huge advances in science and understandings of science, and understandings of the universe around us that have backed up 
a lot of ancient beliefs of the universe around us, of the world around us. However, they did not have the technology to zoom into the microscopes. They did not have the technology to split a quirk and to find out that when you split a quirk, the quirk exists in two different places at the same time, but is the same quirk. What? That doesn't make any sense. They didn't know that until technology was able to reveal that. It is my belief as a Christian that advances in science does not affect my belief in God because my belief, like we learned in Irresistible, is not based on science. It's not based on the it's not based on what the Bible says as science. It is based on the event and the person of Jesus Christ that is backed up by science that is backed up by history, that is able, we are able to see that. We are able to go through that. And so that keeps us grounded. So in this, right, the reason why we're getting, we're getting to this, guys, and I promise we might not get the whole chapter, but I'll try to be fast. Um, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the, a lot of people who believe the older theologians, the uh, Calvinisms, the um, the Lutherans, the all, all these different f- facts. They, they believe in Jesus, which is great, and that is the non-negotiable, right? If, if you believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus loves you and, and he died for us, okay, those are the non-negotiables, right? But everything else can be argued with. A lot of those theologians still, even today, the th- theologians that are coming out and studying this stuff today, are still basing their studies and their beliefs on things that they knew 500 years ago, not things that we know now, okay? And so the way that they write that, the way that they justify it in some cases is they say, oh, well, God didn't actually mean that. Oh, God didn't actually say that. But when we come back and we say, well, God never wanted the sacrifices to begin with, their response is, oh, yes, he did. There's chapters and chapters and chapters. But however, when, when Abraham is dealing with God and saying, hey, uh, if there's only 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you save the world? And God says, yeah. And then Abraham goes, what about 40? <laughs> and God goes, yeah. And then he gets down to 10, right? If there's 10 people, you would think that Lot's family was at least 10 people, right? He had several daughters, didn't even reach 10 people. You know what I mean? And, and while he's making this negotiation, some of the, of the frames of thought is God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God controls everything. However, and he, he never changes his mind. He's never, he, he never deviates from his plan. Well, that means, and Tisha, I love that you brought this up the other day. That means that God was deceiving Abraham, that God was lying to Abraham because he was going to settle at 10, but I guess God just went and had a negotiation with Abraham, right? That, that's not, that doesn't line up, okay? And so what we're going to do, what I'm going to teach you is that technology has actually made it so much easier for us to understand the Bible. And can you all see the TV okay? Okay. I made my cursor really big so you guys can see that. Um, but what we're going to do is I'm going to teach you a way that you can do a word search in seconds. You don't have to know 
what book to look up. You don't have to know, you know, okay, you, you find that in this book, but you have to come over here in this book because this book has a number that you have to go to this book and look up. That is literally how we've done it as pastors for generations. I'm sure Pastor Jared has a Strong's Concordance in his office right now. Strong's Concordance takes all of the words of the Bible and categorizes them. And it categorizes them in numbers. And you have to take that number and look up in another spot in Strong's. It's called Strong's Exhaustive. All right? Exhaustive because it's exhausting. You have to look at this number in Greek because there's two different types. There's Hebrew and Greek. You have to look at this, and there can be a, a Greek 2 and a Hebrew 2, okay? You have to get this number. You have to look up this thing, and th- then it tells you all the other scriptures, right? That's what it is. Nowadays, we have what's called iPhones. You want to know how I knew that it was the 1800s that we started uh, started our study of the Egyptian history, and it changed history as we know it? iPhone. I literally was typing this up, and I was like, hey, that's a good point. Hey, I have no idea what date that was. And I looked, I typed in my phone, when was the Egyptian timeline mapped? And boom, 1818. Awesome. Two seconds. Two seconds. It didn't take years of study. It took me two seconds. So we can use technology to understand what Jesus meant 2,000 years ago just by doing the base level, okay, I'm teaching the base level. So there are commentaries and things that help explain other thing, other pieces of the, of the Bible that may be unclear, but this is going to be the base level understanding of when Pastor Jared or Pastor Kevin say, well, this word says booger, but it actually meant nose hair. And you don't just have to take their word for it. You can literally, in seconds, do this and find that word and go through it. So we're going to go through it really quick. If you're taking notes and you want to do this stuff later, uh, the website that I use, there's several websites that that do this. There's blueletter.com. There's um, blah, blah, blah. And then there's this one, okay? And uh, this one is called BibleGateway.com, okay? And I'm just putting, if you are online, open up another browser and type in BibleGateway.com. And this is the screen, uh, you who are in-house, this is how it's going to look. When you get there online, go to the search bar up here, and most likely, this little tab right here is going to say NIV. There's going to be a search bar, and then a few. Chapter 5. You're going to hit enter. It's going to pull it up. Now, what we're going to do is in the window that says NIV, we're going to click that, and it's going to open up a Dropbox. And we're going to scroll up in that till we see Mount Reverse Interlinear New Testament. The parentheses is Mounts, M-O-U-N-C-E. Um, you're going to click that. Now, and remember to hit search again. And now we get this. We get this window, okay? I'm going to zoom in a little bit so we kind of appreciate that. We get this window, and you see how we have the English on one line, and then we have these grayed-out words that don't make any sense to us. Those words are 
the um, English uh, versions of Greek words. Basically, phonetically, this is how it is. Okay? So when it says D-E, I'm guessing it says D. All right? Uh, When we click on that word, it actually highlights, you can't really see it on here, but on my, and if there's more words that are attached to it, it will highlight those as well. You can click on DE and it pops up a definition. It shows us the definition. The thing about Greek to English is the same thing as Spanish to English and any other language to English. We, in English, we have all these multiple words that mean one thing. But other languages, most other languages, have, mul- have one word for multiple things. Okay? And so what's great about this is that Mounts is a professor that he's a professor of ancient Greek. And he is still alive today. I believe he works at Harvard, or it could be wrong. Um, but he works in a seminary, and he has written books about Greek and translation into English, and then he created this Bible that we can literally read the Greek alongside the English, and he made, these were two different books. He made another book of definitions. Technology enables us to put them together, okay? And so we're going to look at really quick um, chapter 5 and how at the very of the New Covenant. He begins teaching people not from Jewish scripture. In fact, I may be wrong in one instance. I didn't check chapter 7 yet, but chapter 5 and chapter 6, Jesus does not reference the law as in quoting it. All the other teachers back then were quoting the law. So when Jesus shows up and he starts teaching things that are radical and that are new and they, they aren't condescending, they aren't judgmental, they aren't, you better not do this or else this, people are perking up. People are listening. People are following him because they want to know more. So we get this. So he, he uh, in, this, in the story, he has been baptized by John already, and he has just found Simon Peter and his brother. Uh, to join the disciples, and he assembles like a small disciple group. Not all the disciples are there yet, but he assembles a small group, and they are out preaching and, and teaching. And he, they, they have a big following, and this is what happens. And seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountainside, right? Which mountainside, right? We don't know. Uh, and when he, had, when he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, okay, and by disciples, he's not just talking about the 12 disciples. He's talking about these, this crowd. They are all sitting with him. He teaches this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Something that I have always attributed to this particular scripture, uh, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When I think meek, I think reserved. I think maybe shy. I think maybe um, uh, 
you know, introverted, I think maybe, um, yeah, they're nice, they're kind, but they're soft-spoken. That's what I think of when I think meek. And that is actually how this verse has been taught to me. This verse being taught that way to me is behavioral modification. You must be quiet. You must be reserved or else you will not inherit the earth. I was taught that at a young age because guess what? I am not meek. Okay? I am not meek. I am loud and boisterous. And so I was taught to be meek because then I will inherit the earth. But let's do something that takes half a second to find out. Let's go over the word meek and click it, which it gives us this word right here as the Greek, and that is, I'm guessing, praus, okay? I did learn how to read a dictionary whenever I was in uh, high school, but um, I don't know all the phonetic uh, symbols anymore. Uh, so we're just going to take my Texan uh, accent and understanding of, of how to say letters together. And so we're going to go with that. So we're going to look at this uh, word now, praus. Now, if you look up here at, at the top of that, you notice that the actual Greek letters are there, okay? But the phonetic says that that word means more than meek, okay? So let's look at, and uh, this is a little bit blown up, so let me adjust that a little bit, uh, okay? Because this word is much deeper than just meek. What it is is that it's meek, but it is also gentle but it is also kind, but it is also forgiving. And that's one definition of this word. The next definition of this word is mild, benevolent, and humane. Okay? So when we see this word meek, that prouse is so much deeper than just meek. It carries more weight than just meek. It carries all of this weight. Now, in, you'll see in other, in, in other instances, there are positives on some words, and then there will be one negative description. What that is, is how this word is said. If this word is said in anger, it means this. If this word is said any other way than anger, it means all of these things, okay? And so you can see that just by clicking on it. So we're going to look at the message, and each time I get to a spot, um, and you can do this, you can do this later on your own time, and you can do it for every word. Okay, today I'm only picking select words. It's not because I'm pushing a narrative; it's because we are already at 11:15. Okay, and so we're going to we're going to go by this really fast. Uh, so we're going to start out again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the forgiving. See how that works? Blessed are the forgiving, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, let's look at righteousness, right? Because what do you think of when you think righteousness? You think holy. You think uh, upright, uh, beyond beyond any you know any uh, 
you know, bad word, negative word. We are upright. There's no sin in our life because we are righteous. Let's click on righteous and let's see what that word actually means. I'm not even going to try to say that word because look at that thing, right? If there was a, if there was a uh, dictionary teacher, I would ask them to go over that with me right now. But let's look at that word. The first thing out the gate is what? Fair and equitable dealing, justice. Let's look at the next one. Integrity, virtue, generosity, alms. I guess generosity in alms. Um, Piety, godliness, investure with the attribute of righteousness, acceptance as righteous, justification, um, and then later on it says a provision or mean for justification. So as we read this, if you want to find the true meaning of what they're saying, part of the way that you can do that is fill in the blank with the definition. Okay? So now we're looking at not just righteousness, but I, and I believe that this heavily leans on the first definition because of the context of what he's saying. He is saying, blessed, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for fair and equitable dealings. And fair dealings. Injustice, for they will be fully, which I guess I can do this and make it go away. There we go. Which, um, let's see, where, I, of course, I, oh, it's the next chapter. Of course, I would do that on stage. Um, it says, and they will be fully satisfied. Okay? Satisfied, what does that mean? To feed, to fill with grass, herbage. So, to fatten. So these people who are looking for fair dealings, equitable dealings, justice, they will find it. They will see it. Not righteousness in our mindset, but righteousness in what they are meaning, which is justice. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think that's pretty straightforward. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, right? Um, I think it was pure, clean, guiltless. They will see, let's see, they will admit witness to be admitted into more immediate presence of God. If you are, it, it doesn't mean that you haven't gone through things. That doesn't mean necessarily pure in life. That doesn't mean that you haven't gone through things. That doesn't mean that you haven't done things. But if you have a pure heart, God will do this. God will be with you on this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the namesake of righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they, I, I know that I went back and forth. Blessed are the peacemakers, that, uh, for they will be called sons of God. Okay? And uh, what, I love, what I love about the, this whole setup is that you can go to each and every word. Blessed are those who, when others revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely uh, on my account. This is really cool. If you look at, it says me, right, of me, and you click it, it was very confusing whenever I clicked it because here's the definition. It's just I. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. It's Yoda talk. Anyway, um, so uh, of me, rejoice and be very glad because your reward is great in heaven. 
for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, okay, let's click on that. See, all of those words, has lost its taste, is one thing. Let's look at that definition. To be foolish, to play the fool, to make foolish, convict of folly, right? To be convicted of folly and incur character of folly, rendered insipid. Now, what they translated this as is rendered insipid. I think that's how you say that, insipid. Um, Because it's talking about salt. So the fact that it lost its taste, that's what it's saying. It's become insipid. So how will it be salty again? How will we be able to get that? How will it be salty? Let's look at that definition. To salt, to season with salt, to preserve by salting. How will we be able to get from losing our uh, the taste of salt, be, losing the purpose of salt, and once again being able to be used again? And it says, it is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under foot by people. You are the light of the world, a city, okay? What's really cool about this translation is that they didn't separate these two sentences. They kept the salt, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And I believe in the NIV version, they break this up as two different things. But this is one thought. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot that cannot be hidden, uh, nor do people light a lamp and put it under the meal tub, but on uh, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the all in the house. Let your light shine like that before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This word glorify, I think, could have been translated a little bit better. If you look at the first definition, it says to think, to suppose, to judge, to extol, to magnify. What does our What is our light supposed to do? It is not necessarily for people to just be like, oh, you're awesome. Glory to God. But what it is is you're awesome. Well, let me look at your God. Let me magnify your God for a moment. Let me not just forget about it and move on from it, but let me study it. Let me see this God that you're talking about. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. I tell you the truth until, and actually, this is a verse that we want to look at, um, that he came to fulfill the law. Let's look at that. To fill, to make full, to fill up, to pervade, to pervade with influence, to influence fully, possess fully, to complete perfect, uh, to bring to an end, to perform fully, discharge, to consummate, to consummate. How do you consummate a marriage? Well, obviously, you got to do some things, right? But why is that a thing? Because it solidifies the marriage. It completes the marriage. This is, this is, we have had the ceremony of wedding. Now it's time for you to complete that. Now it's time for you to join as one. And once that is complete, you are no longer separated in marriage. You are together. So Jesus is saying, I have 
consummated the law. It is done. It is completed. I fulfilled it. Now we are moving on to a new marriage. Now we are moving from this past life into a joined life with me, okay? That's just one definition. That's just one part of this word. And so you'll see as we go, these words mean much, much more than just fulfill. Just fulfill. It makes Jesus' words much, much heavier. Um, We're going to skip down just a little bit uh, for the sake of time. Uh, You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Right? Judgment. Okay? Distinction, discrimination, judgment, decision, award. You see how it sometimes it means two different things, an award and it means persecution. Uh, judicial sentence, adverse sentence, judgment, uh, judicial process, trial. Okay? You'll be liable to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, okay, what does that mean, right? Is that a bad word? Kind of. What it means is is Raka, an Aramaic term of bitter contempt, worthless fellow, fool. What do we do as Christians? A lot of times we call people Raka. And what does Jesus say about that? If you call people Raka, you will be liable to the council. What he's talking about is the Sanhedrin. That's the word they use, Sanhedrin, which is the council of Jews. And whoever says, you fool, all right, let's click on fool, foolish, dullard, dull, uh, fool is in senseless wickedness, uh, will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, hell, what does that word mean? Well, let's look at it. The word for hell there is Gehenna. Gehenna, this is the best definition of this word that I've seen. And the reason why is because it doesn't plug in a theological belief. It tells you exactly what this word is and was and was used for. It says this, Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, south of Jerusalem, once celebrated for the horrid worship of Moloch and afterwards polluted with every species of filth. Okay, that's important for you to understand. This area is polluted with every species of of filth, as well as the carcasses of animals and dead bodies of malefactors to uh, consume, which in order to avert the pestilence, which uh, such a mass of corruption would uh, occasion. This is weird how it's written. But uh, essentially, in order to keep bugs and pestilence and disease from coming off of this valley, what did they do? Constant fires were kept burning. Hence, hell, the fires of Tardis. When they're talking about fires of Tardis in the Bible, they're also referencing this valley. Um, The place of punishment in Hades. Now, if is Jesus talking about Greek mythology here? No. He is talking about this valley. So in this instance, it is the hell is a bad translation. They understand this as the fires of Gehenna, the fires of, of dead 
rotten flesh. That, that this is a metaphor that he is using. That if you are calling someone fool, you will be liable. Not the fool. You. You will be liable to the Gehenna fires. Well, what is he talking about that? We talked about this two weeks ago. I think we talked about 70 AD. 70 AD was the biggest event in Jewish history. They destroyed the temple. They, the Romans surrounded them and that were in 0.1 million people, not just Jews, people that were in Jerusalem alone, not to mention the persecution that happened outside of Jerusalem to the Jews. There was 144,000 people that ran from Jerusalem on the words of Jesus Christ that said, when you see these things, run for the hills. That 144,000 were saved, okay? What he's referencing here, and they don't even know it, what he's referencing here is if you are a religious leader in the law and you are saying, Raka, you're a fool, and you are stuck in that in 70 AD, guess what? You are liable to the fires of Gehenna. Literally, your body will be tossed into Gehenna and burned for a long time. In in this verse, it says, uh, I think a little bit later, it says uh, the eternal fires. The eternal fires. Well, eternal doesn't, and I wish I could find it really quick. I can't, and I have to move on. But eternal doesn't actually mean forever as the whole definition. It also means an undetermined amount of time. Okay? So when he's saying eternal fires, he's not saying you're going to burn forever. He is saying this is an unknown amount of time that the fires of Gehenna are going to be lit. Also, in, in, when the fires reached to a certain point and the soot and the brimstone flood, were washed out by rains in the valley, and that valley led to the Dead Sea. And when the ash and the soot and the, the brimstone and the grime and all of that flooded into the Dead Sea, which was already a very high uh, salt content and sulfur content, um, when that sulfur and brimstone come down, the Dead Sea has been known to combust. And in history, it was known as the Lake of Fire. So if you did not know this, if you did not have this technology, when you read Hell of Fire, what do you think? You think eternal damnation, that we are going to be locked in hell, but this particular verse does not mean that, okay? And this is why I'm showing you this today, because I want you guys to be equipped so that when you hear something that doesn't line up with the Father, loving Father, you have equipment to be able to look it up yourself and to be able to discern it yourself because we do not want to be up here discerning things for you. We want you to be discerning them. We want you to be in practice. We don't want you to take our word for it. We want you to know it. Really quickly, I'll move on. Um, uh, We have... Something that Jesus starts doing, he teaches us, blessed is this attribute, and you will inherit the earth if you do these things. 
if you love if you love like this. And then he goes into the what he just referenced in murder, and he referenced in in the teachings, and what he's about to reference in divorce is an error in law. In verse twenty one, he says, "You have two laws." That he's saying it's error in law. In verse twenty one, he says, "You have heard that it is, it was said in those of old." You should, uh, I'm sorry, uh, let's move down a little bit. Aha, see, they grouped them together. I'm looking at paragraphs. Bad job, Jay. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her. Now, is he saying that you are going to be punished by Jesus if this happens, no, he's saying the law, the law has the standard. This is what we are going through. He is not making new laws, but he's pointing out to the Pharisees that even they are not above the law, that they, even though they do not commit adultery, they're still looking with their eyes. And that's the same, okay? He says right here, and it's a joke a little bit before that, um, it, it's kind of funny. Let's see. Um, maybe I, I've lost it. Okay, I've lost it. At one point, he says in the teaching area, he says, um, in fact, and the only way to get into heaven is to be more righteous than the Pharisees. That's a joke that he's making about the Pharisees because the Pharisees were corrupt. And everybody knew the Pharisees were corrupt. But a lot of people teach that verse as, oh, well, we need to be upright. We need to follow the law. Okay? So this whole verse, this whole chapter, I want you guys to go back home because and, and look at this, and you can go through this reading. But the whole point of, of this sermon starts breaking down in verse 38. He says this, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evildoer, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him with the other as well. And let one who wants to sue you and take your shirt, have your coat, uh, give them your coat as well. And whoever compels you to go one mile, that was a tradition that Roman soldiers would do. They would grab a Jewish person, and by law, if they chose you, you had to carry their pack for a mile. And what he's teaching them is this. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn down the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay? That's what, that's what the teachers of the law said. But he says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Okay? What is really cool, what is really cool about this word that says, uh, it's these three words, you may be. This word is uh, gnomai. We'll go with that. Check out this, these definitions. To come into existence. To come into existence. To be created. Exist by creation. 
um, to be born, produced, grow, to arise, come on, uh, occur as the phenomenon of nature, um, to come, approach, and uh, as morning or evening, to be appointed, constituted, established, to take place, come to pass, happen, occur, um, go down a little bit further and says to become or be made anything, to be changed or converted, okay, to come to oneself, to recover from a trance or surprise. So you see how he's saying if you love your enemies, if you pray for those who persecute you, you will be snapped out of the trance of being an orphan. And you will understand that you are a son. You are a son. You are sons of your father who are in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even, uh, do not even the tax collectors. And what, what he means by tax collectors is this. One who farms the public revenues. <laughs> One who just, that's what they do. They take your money all the time just because of their authority. Even the tax collectors love those who love them. Only your brothers. What are you doing? One and more than uh, Only your brother. If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles, which that word is actually non-Jews, right? Don't even the non-Jews do the same? You, however, are to be perfect. Perfect here is not perfect like we think. What it is is it's brought to completion, fully accomplished, fully developed, fully realized, thorough, complete, entire, opposed to what is partial and limited, full, grown, and ripe age. Full, grown, and ripe age. You are to be fully grown as your heavenly Father is fully grown. He is talking to people before he's dead, and he's telling them that they are sons of God. We didn't go as far into the chapter as I wanted to because I talked too much. But when, uh, let me bring it back. Jesus' purpose was not to push us to the law. He started, he wasted no time showing people how to establish the kingdom of God here and now. It's important for us to grasp this because just like my ninja equipment enhances my camera's capabilities, we are supposed to enhance the people we encounter every day. We are called to do that. Okay, uh, we just sang a song, the prophesy. I'm stepping up to become everything you've called me. Is how the first, uh, how the second verse starts. Well, what has He called us to do? He's called us to be the salt and the light of the world, and He didn't start that later in His ministry. Out the gate, that's what we were supposed to be. That's what the Jews were supposed to be. And you'll see. Because we are not orphans that need to be adopted, but we are sons and, and, and heirs of God at birth. 
but not everyone knows that they have a father watching the road for them. Not everybody knows that he's waiting. Not everybody knows that finger to take the robe off of them and put them around them. Not everybody knows that. In fact, the majority of people don't know that. Even the ones that believe in Jesus, they don't realize that God, the Father, is a Father waiting. Instead, they have been told that the Father is mad and that they left, and that they left, um, that they left him. I don't know why I didn't type that all the way out in my notes, right? But they believe that God is angry with them because somehow we left him, even though it wasn't our choice. Adam left him. And even beyond that, you know, Jesus, God still didn't require anything of Adam, did he? No. Israelites left the pact all the time. But I'm not an Israelite. I'm, and even if I was, I would be a 21st century Jewish century. I don't know how you can, I would not be a first century or negative century. I don't know how you can quantify that covenant. Uh, it living in the old covenant. I live in the new covenant. We have been reconciled. But not every one of us knows that we're sons. And so the Christian church hasn't been great about telling us that we're heirs, that we're sons of God, that we're princes, that we have purpose, that we have identity, that we are better what the world tells us we are. That we're not just an afterthought. That we're not just supposed to be here, exist, and die, and that's it. But instead, he's Jesus taught us a hope. He showed us a hope beyond death. He showed us a life beyond our selfish visions, but a life that can bring fruit to other people can build up other people. We must become irresistibly loving. We must become irresistibly patient, irresistibly forgiving, and and, and, and irresistibly fair and kind. The Christian journey is not about getting into heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth. If all you're doing is fearing hell, and that's why you're in church, you're not spreading heaven. If all you're doing is teaching the fear of hell, the, and you your whole relationship with God is based on the fact that you don't want to burn forever, you're not spreading heaven. What you're doing is you're spreading hell. You're spreading fear. Spread love and joy and peace. Jesus says it best in John 15, 8 through 17. We'll look it up. We'll go ahead and just jump into the NIV because it'll be easier on my eyes. Um, He says it best on how we can be irresistible in John 15, 8 through 17. I end every sermon 
that I do here on this verse because of how important it is. It says this, this is, uh, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. What command? The command to stay in his love is this. In verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Parentheses, even if the disciples didn't understand it at the time. But he goes on, he says this, you did not choose me. The disciples did not choose Jesus. In the new covenant, we do not choose Jesus. But I choose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Christ came down not to do away with the law, but to finish the law. And when he finished the law, he made it to where he is choosing us. It's my belief that God chose us before he died on, before Jesus died on the cross. But that Jesus had to show us that the debt's paid, it is removed. We are together as a family. We are sons of God. We are called for more. We are destined to be more. Let's show God's love and be irresistible to those around us so that he in turn will be irresistible to them. I know it went long. Let's pray and uh, dismiss. Father God, I thank you so much for everything that you're doing for us. I thank you for everything that you did, Jesus, by coming down and talking to us and, and teaching us a totally different way of thinking, a totally different way of seeing ourselves, a totally different way of seeing your love. Father, I thank you. I thank you for showing us that. I pray that we can show other people. I pray that in our lives, we can choose to be irresistible to people. We can choose to love people. We can choose to forgive people. We can choose to treat people fairly and kindly. Lord God, I pray right now for everybody watching this, listening to this, I pray 
that they become irresistible through you, Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.